You're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio with just a little bit of politics. Listen along as we interview some of the most experienced outdoorsmen in the industry today, where you'll learn valuable tips and tricks to make you a more successful hunter, shooter and fisherman. Here's your host of the Australian Hunting Podcast, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting, and fishing radio. I'm your host, Jason Selms, and this is episode 39, Duck Hunting with the Fowl Talkers, Sav Manjin. It's great having Sav on the show. For everyone knows, yes, it's true, I love uh, waterfowl hunting, I love bird hunting, and uh, I know uh, throughout the states uh, around Australia, we just came to the end of the season for most states as well, so I thought... Uh, why not get you guys all tricked out for next year and get you all the info as much as I can on duck hunting. Uh, Sav gladly gave his time to come on the show to chat with us about all things to do with duck hunting. So that's shotguns, uh, loads and, so- and shot sizes, uh, dry land hunting, uh, hunting from boats, uh, you name it. We pretty much spoke about it and uh, it was quite a good podcast and I really enjoyed having our Sav on the show. Uh, you can check him out on their Facebook page. Uh, the Foul Talkers, and uh, you can check out some of their videos too on the Foul Talkers Facebook page, which they've been uploading to the internet. I know Sav at the end of the year that they said they're going to have a DVD out, so I look forward to you know watching some good uh, Australian duck hunting. So good on them, and uh, thanks again for Sav for coming on the show. Uh, to go on about on last podcast, you guys probably remember. Uh, we said the, abolish, the, the abolishment of the Game Council and Barry O'Farrell's uh, assault on hunters, shooters and fishers in New South Wales. Now, I need to get the word out. Now, you need to send this to everyone you know on your Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, talk to your friends and family and get them to this rally. Now, I repeat, there's a huge rally coming up. The rally is on the 14th of August which I think is a Wednesday, 2013, meeting at 11.30 in the morning, so 11.30 a.m. at the Archibald Fountain in Hyde Park, and then we're walking down to the, uh, uh, the parliamentary house down there. Uh, we're trying to get as many people as we can. I know there's at least three, four, five hundred at the moment. That's the only ones I'm seeing on Facebook, uh, but hopefully we are going to get a lot more before August. Some people have said, why wasn't it on a weekend? I think uh, the parliament is sitting on the 13th of August, the Tuesday, and they're also sitting on Wednesday the 14th. And there's no point going on the weekend on a Sunday because no one's going to be probably in the city and nobody is going to be uh, there from Parliament. So uh, we are going on the Wednesday. It's going to be huge. Uh, No camouflage. Please don't wear any camouflage. What we do say is your normal work attire. I mean, if that's a suit, if it's a suit, if it's a tradies outfit, it's a tradies outfit. Uh, doesn't really matter. Wear it, and if you can, wear a piece of blaze orange, so a hat or a backpack or whatever it may be. You can actually go on the Facebook page and uh, check out the event for the rally, but you can also go to Save the Game Council uh, Facebook page. Again, we're not here. We know the Game Council is finished, and it's going to be dissolved into the Department of Primary Industries, but this is for everyone. This isn't just for public land hunting. I mean, I know Max Farrelly, who was previously on my show. I think he was on episode 14. Max Farrelly, the Fox Whisperer. Uh, he's coming up to stay with me uh, from down south, and uh, he's going to be marching with us as well. Now, Max doesn't even have any... He never hunts on public land, but he's doing what he needs to do to fight for us all, and he's also having uh, meetings with his local members, and uh, he's certainly getting out there. Just like one of my previous guests, Dave Brazier from Bore It Up Your Magazine, uh, he's got stuck into him. He's written letters. He's also had meetings with his local member, and uh, I did make a, a, a appointment 
with the Honourable John Robertson, who is in my lo- who's my Labor leader in the local area. Uh, he's the uh, my local member, so made an appointment at his office. They you know, they tried to say, oh, he's very busy, and I said, no, I'm happy to wait, not a problem at all. And uh, she rang me back the same day, within a couple of hours, and said, how does, uh, uh, I think it's around late August. I don't want to give the date because I don't want to be unindated with, <laughs> you know, people might meet me there, I don't know. But uh, basically, yeah, I'm going to be having it in late August, and I'm going to be telling, you know, John Robertson that, you know, basically Labor, uh, was very supportive of the Game Council model and it's uh, been very successful over these last seven, almost eight years. I know John Robertson is against National Parks hunting and uh, I've been following him quite closely over the last uh, six to 12 months. But again, we'll see what he says. We'll see how we go. But same thing goes for you guys. You know, In my previous podcast, I said, have you been sending your letters? Have you been sending any correspondence to your local members? Have you been sending your um, letters to your ministers? It's really, really important. So you need to get out there, start writing to him, Barry O'Farrell, Katrina Hodgkinson, Robin Parker, uh, Graham Ennisley, uh, Andrew Stone, the Deputy Premier. You've got to write to all those people and uh, tell them you want public, hand, public land hunting sorry, reinstated as soon as possible under the DPI, under the exact same model it was under the Game Council. So hope to see you. I'm going to be there at the rally on the 14th. Hope to see you all there. Shake a few hands, few photos, say hello and get amongst it. And uh, we, just, we, we just urge everyone to, you know, if someone incites you, Turn the other cheek and walk the other way. Uh, you know, the, the cameras may be there and they're looking for a slip-up. Any little slip-up they're looking for, and that will just ruin the whole day. So I urge everyone, even in the face of someone or a greenie being stupid, put your head down, keep on walking with your signs, keep on walking with your signs. So good on you guys anyway for uh, getting the word. Hopefully everyone can get the word out, and uh, hopefully you're all sending your letters to, to your local members and your ministers. So thanks again, everyone that's been doing that. Uh, what else we got here? Yes, AustralianHuntingPodcast.com.au. That's our website. Be appreciative if everyone can go on there. That's the main point of call to check out any information on the podcast. Uh, Facebook, Australian Hunting Podcast. I think we're up to, yeah, 2,500 almost. So thanks for everyone that's on there contributing. Uh, all the mods that help out, it's always appreciated. Uh, Twitter, AH Podcast. Uh, Twitter's really important because a lot of our ministers are on Twitter. And I know there's a bunch of guys on there that I've got on there now and been yeah, really getting into these ministers, telling them how we want public land hunting back. You know, I don't know, I'm not even sure why there needs to be a risk assessment on state forests because it's just absurd considering we've had eight, almost eight good years and they've removed almost 1.2 million feral pests. Uh, compared to other people or other agencies or associations like the National Parks Association, the RSPCA, uh, they've removed a big fat zero. A big fat zero, that's right. Hunters in New South Wales, almost 20,000 of them, have removed 1.2 million, much more than any of these other associations that claim to be doing stuff for uh, feral, you know, feral animal control. You know, they're all about non-hunting, but they've got no idea themselves about what they want to do or put in place. Probably baiting, I wouldn't be surprise but anyway let's move on if you want to email me for any reason australian hunting podcast at gmail.com uh, you can type us in on itunes the program and rate us five stars please also leave a comment that's really important uh, we're right up there in the outdoor category on itunes which is which is just fantastic uh, we're also on stitcher.com you can download the application from your iphone or your android listen to us anywhere with a uh, wi-fi connection anywhere around the world uh, if you need any business needs of feral animal control you can check out my business website aussieferalcontrol.com.au and uh, it'd be great if you actually uh, share the australian hunting podcast with your friends and family that's always in important and uh, if you go on the website australianhuntingpodcast.com.au you can click on the right hand side there in the widget bar and see the donations 
donations help me get these out to you guys. And I really appreciate all the people that have had faith and donated to the show. Really do appreciate it. Uh, again, more than ever, I know you probably get, I get like a broken record, but you're even so more so now than ever. You need to vote for the Shooters and Fishers Party. Uh, you can go to the website, shootersandfishers.org.au. Uh, they've had a huge influx after this Barry O'Farrell assault on uh, people joining the party. They need your donations. It's really important. Uh, can you imagine right now, people laugh, but can you imagine what we'd, we'd have right now in New South Wales against this O'Farrell government, uh, if, even if we hadn't had the Shooters and Fishers Party? I reckon... I don't even want to think about it because this is my sport. This is really the only thing I've got in this life in, in regards to my sport. And I really don't want to lose. And I think most of you could agree that you really don't want to lose your shooting, hunting. And, you know, it's not going to be long again. They've already started on the uh, marine parks and fishing. You know, so where is it going to end? And, you know, hopefully the two, the two robs are going to keep them honest. And, uh, again, as I said, you know, they're doing the best they can right now. And I'm sure they're not taking this O'Farrell assault lying down. And they've got their own plans in mind. And that'll play out out over the next couple of months uh, you can check out one of our sponsors too Australian Hunters International at ozhuntersinternational.org.au if you want to get your license, you're a new hunter, you want to meet some like-minded people, get some advice, join the club, certainly do. They're a great bunch of people and they can you know, put you on the path to getting you into uh, hunting, shooting and fishing, whatever you want to do, whatever you like, they can help you get into that. So again, ozhuntersinternational.org.au I appreciate all the listeners that have listened to my show. As always, if it wasn't for you guys, well, I probably have no show. And I, you know, we're getting thousands upon thousands of people. Uh, the last episode just before this one, which was our Stephen Mainstone for thirty-seven, uh, just before the Dave Fent Aussie Hunting Adventures TV series podcast. In one week, we had almost eight. I think it was eight thousand three hundred thirty-eight downloads in, in in a week of the Stephen Mainstone podcast. And uh, Stephen Mainstone was the lawyer that came onto the show. Fantastic bloke. Uh, if you do con- Contact him, let him know you heard about him on the Australian Hunting Podcast and he'll certainly be able to help you out. Uh, he'd like to know where you uh, heard heard about him from. So please uh, contact Stephen if you need any uh, legal advice or representation. Please contact Stephen because he really knows his stuff. You know, he's a, an ex-police officer of a long time, knows firearms laws in and out and is the best person to call. And I'm going to have Stephen on the show again in the next couple of months answering those questions that we didn't get to and having him on the show as a regular basis. So, uh, again, thanks, Stephen. Pretty much Stephen has one of the, uh, holds the mantle at the moment for the most, most weekly downloaded uh, podcast of all time. So, uh, well done to uh, Stephen as well. So, thanks, mate. Pre- appreciate you coming on the show and hopefully we'll have you on again very soon. So, I appreciate you all, but I think we should rock this show. So, let's, without further ado, let's get into my interview, Duck Hunting with the Foul Talkers, Sav Manjin. This is Sav Manjan from the Fowl Talkers, and we're here to talk waterfowl hunting, and you're listening to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Sav, welcome to the Australian Hunting Podcast. Pleasure to have you on the show, mate, to talk to him about some uh, waterfowl hunting today. Thanks, Jason. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yep. Fantastic, mate. I guess... Yeah, let's go for the listeners, don't know who you are, I guess give us you know, a bit of a rundown, I guess, of your personal history, how you got into hunting, shooting, and a bit of fishing. Cool. Uh, look, I mean, I I sort of got into hunting, I guess, like most people, um, through through my dad, I guess, and through family. Um, you know, I started out, I, I grew up around around guns and hunting, and hunting was a way of putting food on the table. So, um, you know, I, I initially started out hunting 
rabbits and foxes. Um, and then Dad was always a keen on keen on ducks. And as I was old enough to get out into the swamps with him, um, went into duck hunting. And I guess it sort of it sort of got me or got a hold of me there. And um, you know, I started out with Dad, and he only had 11 decoys and no duck callers. And um, and now it's just gone gone absolutely uh, 180. And you know, we've um, we've launched the Fowl Talkers and we sponsored by Gun Emporium in Tullamarine and, um, you know, together with them we'll be doing some product testing and evaluating some, some products and, and bringing that out to Australian duck hunting in the future. So it's, um, you know, it's just going into bigger and better things, I guess. Yeah, I know. That's why I got you guys on the show. I originally saw you on the uh, Gun Emporium and Speaking of the Gun Emporium, you you posted on one of the Facebook. I finally got the uh, timber cutter you recommended, but we'll get into we'll get into the uh, calls a bit later anyway. But I guess no drama. How long? I guess not. Only how long have you been hunting for? Like what? What sort of age did you start? But what sort of how long have you been? Was it did you start off with dark hunting, or was that you know afterwards, or how many years have you been hunting in general? So I mean, I've I've been hunting for I'd say well, I've been going hunting for twenty five years. Um, and so that that's from you know the age of five or so, just going and, and accompanying dad on on rabbit trips. Um, I didn't set foot into a into a duck swamp until uh, the age of nine or ten, um, and then started hunting when when I could from the age of twelve years old. Yeah. Um, and it's just been just been hunting ducks. I mean, ducks are sort of my main quarry um I, I i also do a bit of quail and um and some pigs but nothing serious on, on the pigs um it's it's mainly ducks it's it's got a hold of me and um and you know we shoot clay targets in the off season to keep sharp but um you know ducks itself now would be you know close to 20 years that i've been been chasing them so um so that's where it all started yeah, and you know, it's funny that, isn't it? Yeah, there's all different types of people that hunt all different types of game. But tell me, you know, waterfowl hunting. What is it, you know, about waterfowl hunting that just, you know, just keeps, you know, you know, in America, you've got your die, even here to a certain degree, you've got your diehard, you know, uh, uh, waterfowlers. What is it, you reckon, about, you know, uh, you know, duck hunting in general that keeps people coming back year after year? Yeah, look, um, I guess for me, the, the, the major draw card, um, that keeps me hunting ducks and, and keeps me going week in and week out. Um, to, for me, it's progressed to um, to the, the actual art of calling ducks, and I call it an art because um, there's a there's a way about it, and there's a way that you can do it. Um, and and for me, it's it's something that every time you go out in the swamp, you're going to be calling ducks, and and some days you'll you'll call and they'll, they'll all just be coming into you, um, but it's when you stop a duck in midair and you turn it and you get it into your into your decoy spread and then you you later shoot it. Um, that's what keeps me going, I guess. And and duck hunting is, as far as I'm concerned, um, it's all about selling an illusion, and it's, it's selling that illusion to the ducks that you are where they want to be. Um, and and ultimately, it's it's pitting yourself against nature. Um, and and seeing what you can do from there and and that's what it is for me ultimately um i love calling ducks I, I love working ducks in that in that manner and um and that's what keeps me going week in week out love it mate good stuff i guess also too, how did you start i mean how did you start fowl talkers and i mean i originally came up when you guys uh actually saw you on the on the gun emporium 
uh, one of the YouTube videos down there at the shot show, and I saw you calling, and I thought this bloke looks like he knows what he's doing. So, and then with a bit more Facebooking and that, and I was actually speaking to. Um, I think it was uh, Brent Waldron from the Game Council down there. And he said, "Oh, why don't you why don't you speak to these fellas too?" And then it sort of all came together. But what what prompted you to start, you know, sharing on Facebook and starting the business and and getting sort of you know videos of your hunts out there to your to your, your you know the audience? Yeah, look, um, I guess for us and, and it's myself and well, there's a couple of us that are doing it. But um, the main thing that we share is is a passion for calling. Uh, and I guess that's how the name came about because, um, you know, it's, it's like that play on words of foul talkers. But um, I guess we wanted to we wanted to show the effectiveness of duck calling and decoys and getting ducks into close ranges um, and ultimately filling our bag in that manner. Um, and as, as Aussie duck hunters, we only really have American duck hunting footage to watch. Um, and that, for the most part, is just flooded timber and uh, and hunting mallards, and they drop through the trees. And it's not necessarily the same style of hunting that um, that we have here in Australia. So, I guess it's all about sharing um, sharing that experience and and allowing people to come in and see how how we hunt ducks. Um, it might not necessarily be everyone's cup of tea, but it's just the way that we do things. Um, and and so that's where that's where Foul Talkers was born. Yeah, good stuff, man. I, mean, I guess what goes into the process of making the DVD, and who's the who's the poor guy that's got to work the camera while you lucky buggers get to hunt? <laughs> oh, um, look, I mean, it's it's been hard because we're actually we're actually filming ourselves, um, so we're taking it in turns. Basically, I'll uh, I'll jump on the gun early in the morning, or or Justin will um, early in the morning, and the other one will film. And then we'll film until one gets his bag, and then we'll rotate. And I guess the reason for that is um, when you when you're filming or you want to try and film a duck hunting DVD, you can't just get any old cameraman to come along and, and film because they need to have some understanding of how the ducks work as well, um, and they need to know what birds you're calling at and and which birds you're most likely going to shoot at. So um, we found that it was easiest um, to sacrifice you know, the two of us or, or, or three of us hunting at once um, for the sake of getting some, some great footage. So, um, you know, it, it's been it's been a learning curve uh, for us. We only started filming this year and um, from, you know, when we first started filming towards the end of the season when we we sort of became old hands at it by then, um, you know, we, we learnt a lot along the way. So uh, it, it is, it's been a lot of sacrifice and a lot of learning and, you know, one of the biggest uh, rules in, in duck hunting and waterfowl hunting is, is to not move. But it's hard to not do that when you have a, a camera uh, that's got to follow the bird the whole way in. So, you know, um, it's made us, it, it has been a challenge, but um, but we've enjoyed it the whole way through. Yeah, mate, good stuff. I mean, talk about the other guys in Foul Talkers who don't want to leave the other fellas out that do some good work for you guys too. So who else is involved with the business? Yeah, so there's um, there's actually three of us. There's Jacob Wade, Justin as a party, and myself. Um, and and we've we're in the Foul Talkers together. I guess all of us are um, are mad keen duck hunters, and I guess even more so love calling ducks. So you know, our our styles are uh, quite similar. Um, but but we work well together. Yeah, mate. Tell us. Let's go into species. I know. I mean, there's a, you know there's different species and sort of different areas depending on where you live. Sort of what what it, you know coastal areas, inland areas. But tell us about some of the main species of ducks we have in Australia. Right. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, 
I'll, I'll talk firstly on Victoria um, because we, I think, out of all the states, we've got the most species that that can legally be um, legally be taken. So, in Victoria, we've got eight species, um, being mountain duck, black duck, hardhead, wood duck, shoveler, chestnut teal, and grey teal, and then the pink here. Um, in New South Wales now, with the laws that have changed um, in terms of being able to take ducks on the rice, um, there's also the water and grass whistling ducks um, that, are, that have been added to that list that I've just mentioned, so there's 10 species there. Um, and those two whistlers are also legal in Northern Territory as well. Um, I guess the other species of ducks um, in Northern Territory change, but look, they're the main species um, that you come across. Once you get into your coastal areas, then you start looking at, um, at mainly chestnut teal. But uh, throughout, throughout Victoria and uh, I dare say New South Wales as well, there's a good mix of those, those species that I've mentioned earlier. Um, you know, and, and some species prefer different habitats to others. Um, generally, your wood ducks will be on, uh, on creeks and rivers. Um, that's just the type of habitat that they, that they live on. Um, likewise, mountain duck will generally be in areas where there's some sort of intensive cropping going on. Um, they're a grazing bird, so they, they don't so much feed off, off the lakes and in the water, but um, they rest there and then move to the paddocks to feed. So, um, you know, it's, there's, there's very much a way that you can say, I'm going to go and target certain species on, a, on any given day. Um, but once you start going into the swamps, um, then generally, you know, you've got a chance at, at coming across any of those. Yeah, good stuff, mate. Mate, if I had to put you on the spot and say, what's your favourite duck species to hunt out of all of them, what do you reckon you'd say? Um, I'd, take, I'd take the black duck for sure. Yeah, um, why? Why is that? I, look, I mean, arguably, uh, and it, it, people do say it in, in the waterfowling circles that it's Australia's premier game bird. Um, personally speaking, I just love its responsiveness to to calling. Um, you know, and, and the way they fly through the air um, and then the way they just can stop mid-air when you, when you get that call right, um, it's, they're, just, they're just fantastic birds to hunt. That being said... Um, on their day, they can be one of the most challenging birds to hunt as well. So, um, you know, that's that's what I like about them because you just you never sort of know what you're going to get, and they can be flying past you at 100 miles an hour, and you blow that call, and they just turn on a, on a dime, and then they're there. Good stuff, mate. I mean, let's talk about you know equipment and just in general licenses. You know, somebody wants to start, you know, hunting, and we're talking just in general here, but what do we need to start in duck hunting, you know, including the you know, licenses, game licenses, guns, decoys? Just give us a bit of a rundown. Rightio. I guess um, from from a licensing point of view, um, obviously you need your firearms license uh, and you need a game license. Um, now, in Victoria, that needs to be endorsed for ducks. Um, in New South Wales, that would need to as well. And... I guess the way to go around that, or the way to, to what, the way to get that endorsement, um, is to sit what we call the waterfowl identification test, or sometimes it's just shortened to a WIT. Um, now the WIT basically ensures that people are, are capable of identifying um, game and non-game species. So um, once you've got your WIT test sat and you've passed, then you can get your game license, and then basically. Um, you can go duck hunting, and and that's the beauty about duck hunting is that you can make it as simple or as complex as you like. Um, 
I mean, you can go and, and bust dams with your shotgun and a packet of shells. Yeah, um, yeah. Likewise, if you want to, if you want to step it up a bit and start waterfowling, I guess, and and venturing out into swamps and wetlands, um, that's where it gets that's where it gets interesting, and and that's when you start talking things like decoys and duck callers and decoy tubs, um, layout lines, spinning wings, motion decoys, waders, clothing, camo gear. I mean, you can just keep <laughs> going and going, and um, you know, in that regard, we're quite lucky because. The guys in the in the states are, are just mad keen on their ducks, um, and you know through the advent of um, of, t- of modern technology, being the internet, um, and seeing the things that they use, we can we can now step that up a notch and, and use that in our own backyard. Ah, uh, yeah, hundred percent right. Where can we find ducks, man? People want to go out scouting. Let's talk both. Let's talk, you know, in Victoria, but we'll go into New South Wales as well. But how can they scout, you know, public land, but also private land? What should we be looking for? What should we be looking for to find ducks? Any specific areas, and what should people do? Look, um, I guess. All right, so we'll we'll talk on I guess general general swamp or or wetland yep. type areas, um, and they could be throughout all of Australia. But um, I guess once in, in Victoria, we have a system with um, state game reserves. So state game reserves were purchased with um, with hunters' license money. So duck hunters um, came up with a system where they said, let's pay for a license and use that money to purchase wetlands. Uh, and so in Victoria, we have state game reserves, which is public land that people generally can, can go and hunt on without seeking the permission um, of anyone because it's public land. There are some that are on private land where you need to get the permission of the of the landholder. But um, by you know by the most part, you can you can go on any state game reserve and and hunt ducks. Um, now I guess it's all well and good to have a lake, and I see where you're coming from. You know most people will think, well, if there's water there, there'll be ducks, and I'll be able to go on and and shoot them. But I guess look, if if you break it down, and how I generally like to look at it. Um, it's like the three main things that you look for, and it's going to sound obvious, but it's uh, it's food, water, and shelter. So, um, and it does sound simple, but ducks will love fresh water. They, if if I was going out for a scout, I'd always try and go to the place that's seen the most recent influx of fresh water, um, and generally that's either through a rainfall event or through a water allocation happening. So. Um, Ducks will always go to fresh water. Um, the other thing that, that you want to look for in a potential scouting location um, is, or, or to keep in mind, is the depth of the water. Um, the depth plays a big part because uh, the majority of our ducks, apart from hardhead, um, are, are surface feeders. So the hardhead is a diving duck and that will dive down to feed, but um, the majority of the other ducks are, are surface feeders. So generally the lakes that that are shallow, and when I say shallow, I mean by a metre or less, um, they usually have the most food within them just because there's more sunlight getting through to the bottom um, and more growth. So um, generally, I like to look at, at, a, at a shallow type swamp. Not to say that um, that deeper, deeper lakes don't hold ducks, but in my experience, on the most part, it's those, those shallower type swamps that, um, that the ducks will be more likely to, to frequent. Um, and the last thing I was talking about was shelter. So, and whether that's in the form of, you know, kumbungi, um, it might be dead timber, it might be sandbanks or or, um, or islands throughout throughout the, the wetland. 
um, that's a that's a place that the ducks can take refuge on and rest. Um, you know, when the weather gets up and, and when it gets nasty. So, I guess if if we're looking at um, a wetland, I guess my ideal wetland that I would like to hunt um, would generally be a metre or, or less in depth um, and has some sort of grass or shrubs through it, either pig face, kumbungi, uh, lignum, anything that can sort of um, stimulate um, food and, and growth within the water and a lot of sheltered areas away from the wind and elements. So um, so that's, that's I guess, the, the holy grail of, of duck swamps. Um, when it comes to the rice, um, you know, the rice is is a peculiar thing because sometimes that fresh water, just, just the, the very notion of fresh water on, onto freshly turned earth um, is enough to get the ducks going. And if there's ducks in the area, that it's like they, they will smell that out and, and they'll just turn up. <laughs> um, so that's, and that's just, you know, that's probably one of those things that we're better off not knowing how they know, but, but they do. Yeah. So, um, true. Uh, I guess nothing gets out different than you know, driving out, at least having a look everywhere and see if you can... I guess if you're seeing ducks, there's nothing better than getting out in your car and trying to find them as well. Well, this is it. I mean, and that's and that's something that we tend to do in the off-season. Um, and so, I mean, the duck season is only open for three months um, at, any, at any one sort of time. But in the off-season, we, we spend a lot of the time in the car looking and... Um, and driving around to different areas, and that's when that's when we like to go and have a look at new areas that we're not familiar with, um, because it's it's that time of year when you're not necessarily worried about missing out on the evening flight or the morning flight, um, and you can take your time and really get used to a place and and find the areas where the ducks want to be and find where they're feeding and find where they're resting up. So um, so you know the best way to do it is just to is to get out in your car um, and just go for a drive. So, I mean, the starting point is, is those state game reserves. And then, um, you know, if you're lucky, you can find a farmer that, that might have some, some water or, or floodplains on his property, um, and he might be happy to let you on. So, you know, it, it, these things sort of happen, and you, and you make your own luck by getting out there and seeing what's around. Exactly, mate. Good, good advice. Let's get into some juicy good stuff as well. Let's talk about shotguns, man, and gauges. What are you guys using? What's preferred? Yeah, what do you what do you guys use yourself, and what do you recommend? All we use is is 12 gauge shotguns in under and over configuration. Uh, we don't use side by side or over and un, um, we don't use side by side. Sorry, it's just over and under for us. Not to say that that is um, the be all and end all. I know some some great duck hunters that use side by sides, um, but it, ultimately when it comes to to shotguns, it's it comes down to um, the familiarity of, of the hunter with that gun. So if if you're more familiar with with a side by side and that's what you you feel most comfortable with, then by all means do it. But uh, in terms of gauge, look, we all we all use um, use 12 gauge shotguns for, for for hunting ducks. Yeah, yeah. Any, you know, anyone that uses like 20s or any of those odd sort of, I guess 20s not really odd, but yeah, you know, 16s or yeah, you know, is it just better well, off to use 12? You know. Well, legally you can't exceed 12 gauge, um, and I personally don't know of anyone. Um, I know some females that use 20 gauges just because they're a bit lighter um, and and try to get some less recoil out of it. Um, but I don't know of anyone that uses them on ducks. Um, it's mainly on quail that that they start using smaller gauges. Um, I mean, and 
there's if you, if you asked around, there's there's a lot of blokes that first started with a 410 um, that <laughs> yeah. were going out with, with their with their dad and family and friends that you know that's that was their first gun. So um, and and that's not saying that that they're not effective. It's just that um, personally, it's a it's a 12 gauge for me. Good stuff, man. And this next question can be a bit contentious. Depends on who you ask. Let's talk about shot sizes and mm. also shot weights. What should we be? What, you know, what sort of cartridges? You know, not specific you know, brand names, but yeah, what sort of weights and size shot? Let's say in both uh, steel for public public wetlands or private, depending on where you're on. Or let's talk about also lead loads, which you know steel isn't required on say uh, private mitigation rice fields in say New South Wales and. And other states. So, what what do you recommend in say your, your steel and your and your lead cartridges? Yeah, look, um, this is this is going to get me in trouble with someone, I'm sure, because <laughs> um, it's it's very much up to the individual. Um, look, I was lucky enough to be selected to attend the shotgunning education program last year, um, and that focused on steel shot use um, for the for for hunting of ducks. Was that the Tom um, Roster one? That was, yeah, that was with Tom Roster. We were down in, in Tassie for nine days. Yep. Um, and all we did was, was shoot and talk steel. Um, look, it's it's very much a horses for courses um, type thing when it comes to, to steel shot and, and lead shot for that matter. Um, again, like using a shotgun, it, it comes down to what people are comfortable and familiar with. But um, personally, for, for my style of hunting, which is, um, look, I, I mean, I do the odd dam bust um, and, and walked up river shoot, but um, for me, the majority of my hunting is over decoys and in close ranges, you know, up to 30 yards. So uh, for my style of shooting, I always go through um, a 32-gram size 3 shell in steel, yep. which... Um, without getting into the science of things, that has about the same energy as a size 5 in lead. Um, so that's what I prefer to shoot um, over decoys. And again, that's in that's in at close ranges. Um, and then when I go out onto the rice in New South Wales, um, I'll either shoot, um, it'll either be a 32 gram 5 or a 36 gram 5. Um, and that's really for, for no other reason than it's, I, I usually buy um, a slab of each, so 250 of each, and I'll just see what the, type, what the ducks are, oh, well, what situation is coming at me on, on any given hunt. So if the ducks are coming in nice and close, I'll generally drop down to a 32-gram load. Um, if the ducks are, are coming out a little bit further, um, obviously up until, uh, well, in the past, there's been no decoys and callers on the rice, so you do you were forced to have some shots that were a little bit further out past your past your range. So some shots would go out to 40 yards. Um, you know that's where I'd like to use uh, a 36 gram load. But uh, again, um, I, I generally shoot 32s or 36s, but in that in that size five lead. Yeah, good stuff, mate. Let's talk about chokes too. What should we would be using in chokes? Say both uh, decoying, as you said, and now now especially since it's uh, going to be legal on the rice fields of the uh, Riverina. Let's talk about mm. that as well. So uh, chokes for decoying, uh, chokes for your, your you know your pass shooting, which would be sort of for the rice, or if not, guys that are just sort of run up dam busting. What sort of chokes do you recommend for each, and and how do they work uh, good in that situation? Yeah, look. Um I guess the way you have to there's a there's a bit of confusion about chokes in 
that I've found when, when talking with people. Um, and the best way to um, to understand it is that a choke is, is basically determined by the distance of the shot that you're taking. So when you when you are shooting um, over decoys or assuming you're, you're walking up on a small dam where the ducks um, will most likely be at your feet if you're, if you're stalking that dam properly and you walk up on the side where they're, where they're closest to you, um, you, those shots are going to be taken in close ranges. So if you're, if you're walking up a dam um, and you're walking up the bank and the ducks are going to be right below you, I'd, I'd most likely change my chokes to a skeet um, as open as possible because when those ducks do take off, they're going to be nice and close um, and you want your, your pattern of, of, the pattern of your shot to open up as much as possible um, to still be effective. But obviously, uh, the further out you get, the less effective that choke's going to be. So the way that I'd look at it is um, dam busting ultimately being the, the closest type of, of ducks that you're going to get if you're walking up on them. Um, I would use a skeet choke. Yep. Decoying. Um, decoying's different because I guess you, you have to sort of allow for... Well, you have to be committed to it and you have to say, right, well, I'm decoying birds today and I'm not going to shoot at birds past 40 yards. Um, you have to really say that, you know, you have to you have to be disciplined about what you're going to shoot and when you select your chokes. So for decoys, I'll, I'll usually have a, a slightly tighter choke than, than dam busting. Um, but again, not too full where where the where the birds are going to come in and you're going to miss them clean because your pattern's so tight. So generally over decoys, I'd use a cylinder and modified or a modified and improved modified. So I guess, um, you know, that's one up or down either from, from a half or modified choke. Yep. Um, and then if I was going to be pass shooting where, you know, assuming that your pass shooting is always going on at, at longer distances, um, then I'd, I'd probably jump up to an improved modified and a full um, you know, I know some people that uh, shoot full and extra full, but ultimately it's um, it's all about patterning, and it's knowing what what that shell is going to do out of that choke, um, out of any given gun, really. So each gun will act differently, um, or I should say, each shell will act differently out of out of different chokes in different guns, um, and it's it's the hunter's responsibility really to get familiar with with how that all works. Um, and and to get familiar with what they're actually shooting, so um, so yeah, there's no there's no silver bullet, pardon the pun, for um, <laughs> for picking for picking up which chokes and, and shells you're going to use, but it is ultimately about um, using what what you're you're most familiar and comfortable with, and and I guess adapt that to um, to the situation that you're going to be hunting in for that day. Yeah, good stuff, man. Good advice. What makes a good decoy spread, man? I know, um, and how should we set those up? Is there any specific number of decoys we should, uh, you know, start with? And if so, how many? And also, this goes in on a question someone brought up to me too in regards to decoys. Let's say uh, a new duck hunter. He's got, let's say, he's got twelve decoys. Let's say he's got, you know, six black duck and six woodies. Now, can he put? those decoys together will they still bring in birds do ducks hang out together um, will that scare a flock off just give us a more rundown of decoys how they work and should we stick with the same species of decoy or is it more for the silhouette on the water where a duck flies in and is really just seeing the outline just give us a bit more info about decoys mate Rightio. look um with i guess going back to what, what i was saying earlier on 
um, duck hunting is all about selling an illusion to the ducks uh, and and getting them to to be where you are or getting them to want to be where you are. Um, so you can make that as complicated and detailed as you like. Um, and so just touching on on the species side of things, look, um, ducks are they're a gregarious bird, so. Um, they will generally hang out with each other, and if you do go and, and, you, and you, you observe ducks in the wild, you'll generally see different species flying together. Um, you know, and the old adage is true: birds of a feather will flock together. So generally, you will see wood ducks mixed in with with wood ducks on on their own. Um, but that's notwithstanding to say that there's not going to be three or four blackies flying with them, and a couple of teal, and there might be a hardhead. So <laughs> yeah. in terms of in terms of having um, you know uh, I guess species specific decoys, um, it's not to say that if you have half a dozen blacky decoys and half a dozen wood duck decoys that you're not going to be able to get um, grey teal to come in because it's all about that illusion and it's how you sell that illusion. So if you couple that with um, with a duck caller, for example, you'll be able to to blow a grey teal call. That will get that grey teal's attention, and and hopefully bring that bird in to your black duck and wood duck decoys. And likewise, I've I've hunted mountain duck over black duck decoys and normal decoys that aren't mountain duck decoys, um, and have been able to lure them in with with the mountain duck call. So um, definitely, yeah. I mean, and and it's not to say that you can't or you shouldn't have species specific decoys, um, but Ultimately, by the time they get in to, in, into shotgun range and they can see the colour of the decoys, um, it should be lights out for them sort of thing. Uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah. they're well within range at that point. Um, and it's at that point that you say, well, it's more about, um, it's, it's more about shape and silhouette on the water. I mean, if you look back at how, the old, how, they, how they used to hunt ducks years and years ago, a lot of guys would just go out with um, two-litre milk bottles painted black and throw them on the water. And that was their decoy. I mean, that that was the simplest decoy you can get. Um, <laughs> I bet you so, they worked too. Yeah, and they, oh, by all means, they did. I mean, you see some of the photos from the old days, and they they were getting stacks and stacks of ducks. So, um, you know, it, it's one of those things that ultimately it's uh, it's how far you want to take it, um, and and how much of. I mean, if you want to give yourself the best possible chance of um, of getting your bag on on any given hunt, then then you might go and and get different different species but ultimately um the main thing is that you have some decoys there um so that's i guess that side of the question i think um i guess the, then you've got the whole other side of the question of how do you lay out a decoy spread um and what makes a good or an effective decoy spread i guess um looking again in terms of uh all right so we'll talk about numbers and numbers of decoys yep. i generally will take um We'll generally take 50 decoys with us everywhere we go. Not to say that we'll use 50 decoys, um, but that is our that's our round number that we'll take out whenever we go anywhere. If we're hunting a small swamp and there's uh, or small little pockets of water, um, it might be unnatural to have 50 decoys on on a small hole um, when mostly the ducks you're seeing flying around are in in smaller mobs of six and 12 and 20. So I guess it's sort of like matching the hatch. Um, when it comes to decoys in and the environment that you're hunting. So in a smaller place, we might only use a dozen. 
Um, there was some hunts this season where we only used, I think it was 16, 16 decoys in one spot, and then um, in another we used eight. So, I mean, we took all 50 with us, and, and that's just because we don't know where we're going to hunt on that on that certain day, um, and you tailor that to those needs. But then there was other times where we went out where we took 50 and we used all 50 and then went back out there in the morning with another 70 and, and shot over 120 decoys. So ultimately, um, the more decoys you have, the easier it is to grab a passing duck's attention, but you don't want it to look unnatural to the point that you'll you'll scare the birds away. So generally speaking, if I was if I was talking to a, a new hunter and he said, oh, how many decoys should I get? I'd say, look, I'd get 40 to 50 decoys and use that as a base. Now, not to say, like I said, that you need to use them all, but it is a good number because even if you do go up, I mean, 50 decoys is a, is a decent size spread uh, and allows you to make some good formations with it. So um, it does allow you both upside and downside from there. Yeah, I was going to say, um, it's just not good if you've got to pack up quickly. <laughs> no, that's right. And I mean, look, and so there's all different ways of rigging up decoys as well. I mean, there's um, there's a system that we've been using called a Texas rig, um, and that speeds things up a bit quicker. It, it doesn't involve looping it around the keel. So um, you do sort of find these, these quicker ways of doing things when you have more decoys. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. It, it does become a pain if, if you set up and then you want to move along. Um, yeah, it, it helps when you're hunting in, in twos and threes or fours even because um, it does make that job go a bit quicker. Uh, you're right, man, I know. Um, yeah, in, sorry, go on. I'll, I'll just go on. In, yep. terms of, um, in terms of making a good decoy spread, I guess the, the main thing um, that, that we do or that I like to do is, is have what I call a landing zone or a kill zone. Um, and this is basically... a I guess a, a section within the decoy spread that um, where there is no decoys, if that makes sense. So, for example, um, I prefer to use, um, if you like, a, a letter J formation. And so I'll set the ducks up in, in the shape of a J and just past the bottom of the shank of the hook or, or the J um, in, the, in the curve section is what I would call a landing zone or a kill zone. And that's basically my way of, of directing the ducks to where I want them to land. Um, and that landing zone will be um, at a distance that I'm comfortable taking a shot. So I guess that that's what makes, for me, um, a good decoy spread in that, A, it's directing the birds to where I want them to be so that I can take a clean shot, and and B, it's attracting, it's attracting the birds. And I guess if, if you break it right down, a good decoy spread is, is one that the, that the ducks will come into. So it could be as simple as the ducks not being able to see the decoys. Um, you know, you might have them up against um, some lignum and the ducks might not just might not be seeing them. You might have a great formation, but the ducks aren't seeing them. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a difficult question that what makes that, what makes that decoy spread good. But um, it's a, it's a combination of things of, of being able to get the ducks' attention and then luring them to to where you want them. Yeah, good stuff, mate. Good advice. Let's talk about you know the Americans. They're yeah you know, they're diehard bloody waterfowlers, aren't they? And they brought out the spinning mm. wing decoys. You know, uh, Mojo yep. to be say one of the brands. But um, do you think these help to bring movement and life to a setup? Are they good? Are they bad? What's your preference, day or night? Give give us a bit of info, mate. Yeah, look, um, I guess. Motorized spinning wings were only only became legal in Victoria uh, this season, just gone. Yep. So uh, prior to that, we could have, um, I guess, 
spinning wings that were uh, powered by the wind. But this season was the first one with uh, with electronically controlled um, decoys. So we've just we've just been using them um, intensively this year. And, and prior to that, it was uh, the wind powered ones. But I guess the the whole concept about a spinning wing, um, it's it's the flashing wings that simulates a duck coming into land, um, and that is basically an attention grabber for any ducks that are passing. Um, and again, it's it's selling this illusion that there's ducks landing in this spot um, and it's an attractive place to be. So um, that's that's the theory behind a spinning wing decoy. Um, the fact that it's stationary the whole time with the wing spinning, um, from my experience, was not a deterrent to ducks um, in this season. They they seem to just keep coming. Um, <laughs> that's I guess got to be good. <laughs> It is it is good, but at the same time you have to you have to sort of know how to use them and you have to experiment with them because I found this year that um, they work better generally speaking when it's overcast. Um, not saying that you can't, but they don't work when it's sunny. But I found that they they work better when it's overcast. Um, they were just getting the ducks' attention a bit more, and so um, I, I I never had just one spinning wing out or two two spinning wings on their own um the way i look at them is that they're a, they complement um the rest of your decoy spread and so that spinning wing um is there to attract the attention of a duck that might be 300 meters away that hasn't seen the decoys yet um but it gets the attention of that bird and when it does come over for a closer look it sees the rest of your spread and it comes into that so um so look i mean we found them we found them deadly on um black duck hardhead and, and shoveler um, and I think that's got to do with the amount of white on their on those birds' wings. Um, and you know, there was mornings there where we had them hovering over the top of them. Um, they just they were curious, and they just wanted to get they just wanted to get to know them. But then there <laughs> were some land mornings, on them. <laughs> and there were some mornings where it just seemed to where it just didn't seem to have that same effect. So um, so it is very much about adapting, and, and that's a big big part of successfully hunting ducks is being able to adapt to the situation on the day um, and knowing when to when to use things and when not to use things and that's just that's part of the fun and that's that's part of, of hunting ducks and, and learning about them is seeing what makes them tick. So yeah. how many did you use? Would you just recommend one, two, three of them? How many if someone was just you know start off with I, one just to get to know them or Oh yeah look you can you can definitely um, you can definitely get results with one. Um, generally speaking, oh, look, I've got I've got two. Um, I'll use. It depends on on the again. It comes down to like I was saying with decoy spreads. If I'm hunting big open waters, I'll have generally two uh, two spinning wings out there. If I'm hunting in a in a smaller place, I'll have one. Um, but you can you can get results with one, the same as you would with two. Um, on the opening, for example, I had two two going. Um, so. You know, it, it's very much up to the, the preference of of the hunter again, um, but one is definitely enough to to be effective. Good stuff, man. Let's talk about camouflage. Is it important? And let's talk about blinds uh, when hunting ducks. Is concealment important? Because I know I saw on your Facebook page a couple of the photos of the Foul Talkers page where, you know, you, you, you're actually in the water a bit and you've set up like a bit of the, the camo netting and stuff like that. So how important is it to sort of break up that outline at least a little bit so you can, you know, you can fool them into, you know, coming in and not sort of breaking off at the last second or breaking off, you know, 70 or 80 metres out? Yeah, look, um, I guess... 
even more so for us because because we have got the video camera um, and there is more movement than um, than usual. I guess the key thing with uh, with hunting ducks is is movement. Um, they will pick up movement a mile away, um, and I've had ducks flare just from simply moving my hand around the side of the gun to get comfortable to to prepare to shoot. Um, I've had ducks flare just from that little bit of movement. So camouflage in itself, um, I guess, is important because it it allows for some, or I guess it's more forgiving of any sort of movement that you have in your body as well as allowing to break up your outline. So it is a bit more forgiving in terms of any movement you might make. Um, movement is obviously key in that you've got to just be as still as possible and only move at the last minute when you are going to take the shot. Um, look, in terms of concealment and, and blinds, um, you know, that's what makes, in my opinion, hunting on the rice a little bit more difficult because if there is a, if, if it is a rice farm without much cover, you do sort of stand out. So a blind, a blind for us is, um, even if we do hunt out, even if we hunt out of the boat on the edge of a, on the edge of a, a lake, um, or parked in some reeds, we'll have, um, a camo net up and around the boat um, just to, to sort of break up any outlines and keep keep things, uh, I guess, concealed. Um, so camouflage and, and concealment is of utmost important, uh, sorry, utmost importance just in terms of um, of not allowing the ducks to see the movement that, that's going on behind the scenes, I guess. Yeah, good stuff. Speaking of that, you talk about concealed boats and people, you know, hunting from kayaks and that. Is that a good way to hunt? Because I know sometimes you, you might get birds out in the middle of a, you know, whatever, you know, whatever sort of swamp or whatever it may be. Is that a sort of a good way to hunt to, to get the birds to come in if they're not sort of on the shoreline or do you prefer shoreline more so or, or both can be equally as, as um, uh, good and exciting and, and just as successful? Yeah, look, um it's it's a tough one because I I prefer to hunt I, I prefer to hunt over decoys. So whether that's out of the boat um, and the decoys all around and the boat concealed in the middle, or whether it's on the edge um, and we've got decoys out and we we still might be hunting from the boat if it's a, if it's a deeper sort of um, lake or if it's if it's bad conditions for for standing out if it's muddy or silty, um, we'll still sort of hunt out of the boat. Um, you know. You're always going to get your days where the ducks just aren't moving, um, and generally that's like a bluebird day. That's that's you know blue skies and no wind, um, the water's flat as a tack, and there's just no reason really for the birds to move. Um, those days are hard hunting in in anyone's book, really, uh, and that's probably that's probably a time where you know even for the guy that does go out into the middle. Um, it does become challenging because those ducks will lift and then just move on to to another spot, you know, three or four hundred metres away and sit there because they're not getting disturbed there. So um, my preference always is to, is to hunt over decoys and generally speaking will be on the edge um, and trying to get the ducks to to come into that uh, to that decoy spread on the edge. But um, I mean, of course, there's there's a whole uh, legality of hunting out of moving boats. Uh, and watercraft so that complicates things further as well so yeah for mine it's definitely hunting from the edge um, or hunting from a from a concealed location and trying to get the ducks to come to me as opposed to me going to the ducks
Yep. No, good advice, mate. Let's let's get into some good stuff too about calling, mate. What's the best way to uh, call Australian ducks? Can you recommend any good hand, hand calls? And uh, that would sort of put us on a good path to good calling. And if someone doesn't know, like they're not experienced enough to know the sounds of certain types of species of ducks, you know, can they go anywhere to find those sounds so they can learn them? And also doing those calls when, you know, when we're out calling, what is a good call? Can we scare birds with bad calling? And also when you're calling, what, what are the general calls you use? You know, call, uh, feeding calls, greetings, what, you know, uh, yeah, just in general, what's your what's your experience with calls that you can share? Sure. Look, um, we could probably have a whole other show on on duck calling. <laughs> I, 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 that's my opinion. Um, you know, I could I could talk for hours and hours on on calling ducks. Um, all right. So in terms of um, in terms of learning how to call how to how to blow a duck call, obviously you need to you need to sound like a duck. Um, and the best way to do that is to to listen to ducks in their natural environment. Um, oftentimes, if you're out scouting and you're camped um, on the edge of a lake, you'll hear a lot of calling at night. Um, and you know, part of the reason for that is just because it's so quiet and there's not much not much noise going on and, and things happening. So you will hear a lot of calling, um, and that's I guess the the most important part because that gives you an idea of what you need to sound like um, and listening to ducks in a, in a natural environment, um, they're the type of sounds that you want to, to mimic to sell that illusion um, when, when, you, when you are in a hunting situation. So that's ultimately, um, that's the best possible way of, of learning how to call ducks is to first go out and listen to them uh, in their natural environment and see what sounds it is that you have to mimic. Um, Failing that, and you know everyone's busy and doesn't have the luxury of being able to get out, and you know the ducks just might not be um, calling on any given day. So, failing that, um, there is a an iPhone or a smartphone app that's been brought out by um, the Department of Primary Industries in Victoria. Um, that app is called Vic Hunting. Um, it's two words, and on that there is um, a list of species, and I actually did the game calls for that one myself with just with uh, with a normal duck call. So um, the five species that are on there are the black duck, the wood duck, um, the grey teal, a pink ear, and a mountain duck. Um, and so I guess that's that's obviously not as good as um, as the real thing, but that gives you some sort of indication of the calls that I use when I go hunting. Um, to 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 sell that illusion and to attract ducks into into my decoy spread. Um, in terms of in terms of uh, a good duck call, I guess look um, each duck call or, or different people will find different calls that they prefer to use. I like to use the, the handle timber cutter just for the reason that it's a versatile call. Um, you can potentially blow a grey teal, a, a wood duck, a mountain duck, and a black duck out of the one call. But I generally use that call for uh, wood duck, mountain duck, and black duck, and then I like to use the duck commander uh, teal call for all of my great teal calling. So they're the they're the two calls that um, that I prefer to use. Again, not saying and and different people have different calls that work for them. So um, not saying that they're the only calls that there are, but they're the ones that I just prefer to use. Um, and I guess in terms of in terms of the different types of calls, I guess the, the 
the black duck is the main duck that has, I guess, a, a few different types of calls. And in saying that, okay, there's a there's a feed call that you can do, there's a greeting call that you can do, um, there's a comeback call, there's just a, a lonesome quack, or we call it a lonesome hen. Sorry, call that the lonesome hen call. They're they're four different calls for the, for the one duck. Um, the other species, you know, there's a the grey teal has its chuckle. Um, the female does that. The male does a whistle. The pinky generally just whistles. Um, the mountain duck is, is a is a honking bird. Um, so you know, there's though there's variation within those different calls that they do, but there isn't, I guess, that um, that difference between a greeting call and a hail call and, uh, and a feed call. And a lot of that um, for the black duck basically comes from Americans calling their mallards um, because we're using a mallard call for all of these calls that I've said. Um, and they do have um, their different calls for their for their mallards and that's sort of come across the ocean and, and, and has landed on our shores as well. Yeah, exactly. But speaking, would you normally use, you know, like a, a feeding call? Do you switch it up? How do you how do you define what sort of call? And as you said, some of the birds really had to have a few different calls. But as you said, especially the black duck, will you do you always start off with say, you know, just a just a, a quack or was it a feeding call? What's your general go to? Um, oh, the general go to for me is um, is a greeting call, which is um, five to seven syllables for me. Um, of a, of, a, of a black duck um, call, which is just five five to seven notes. Um, and that's my first call that I'll always go to when calling a black duck. Um, the rest of the calls that, that I'll use for a black duck will fit into that greeting call somehow. So it might just be a, it might just be a break from the greeting call, so I'll throw in a feed call. Um, instead of that, I might then go into a into a comeback call and go nice and quick, and then end with a couple of slow quacks. Um, so I guess that's that's how I would generally structure my calling. But um, but again, the first call I'll, I'll go to is always that greeting call, that five to seven syllable. Yeah, good stuff. I got I had a question that just came in on the Facebook page. Now they're saying, is it possible? I don't think it is, but you'd be able to share share your advice on that. <laughs> Um, the question was, now let's say you're hunting, whether you can see the ducks on the other side of, yeah, it depends on where you're hunting, but let's say you can see some ducks in an area, you know, three, 400 metres away, or 200 metres or 150 metres. Now, they're just say they're on the water. Now, is it possible, is it only possible to call in ducks when they're airborne, so they've taken flight, or is it possible to get, you know, get ducks off the water and over to your spread of calling and decoys? Is that possible or not really? Once they're once they're set on the on the water, they're pretty content. Um, I would say, it, look, it definitely is possible. I've done it before. Uh, we've done it before where they've landed, um, you know, like you said, some distance away, and you're calling. Um, and they will come to you. Now, whether they will swim into you or they'll get up and fly, most of the time I've found, I've found that they'll swim in to the decoy spread. Yeah. Um, and that comes in, and, and I guess part of that comes back to what we were talking about before being concealment and camouflage, and that's how important it is. Because if those ducks are going to swim in, um, they've obviously got a, a lot longer time to see what is, uh, what's going on around, around them. So they'll notice that... Um, that something's not quite right if you do stuff it up. Um, so you can get them to swim in. 
definitely, um, and and we've done it uh, regularly. Um, getting them up and flying in, um, that that has been done as well, but it is uh, a little more difficult. Generally speaking, I find that they swim in more, but um, it can be done, and it, it is about selling that illusion. And if that duck is out there on its own, and it thinks that there's 40 or 50 of its mates and they're all having a good old time, um, you know, 100 <laughs> metres away, it's likely that it's going to get up and, and come and say good day. Yeah, it's like, where's the party? <laughs> I'm coming exactly over. Exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> Mate, I saw on one of your videos on the on the Facebook, the Fowl Talkers Facebook page, where you caught in one of the mountain duck. Now, you were using ground blind. Uh, ground blinds, yep. you were hunting uh, probably in the middle, of, look, look sort of what I could see in the middle of a field. So it's not really done in Australia. Is that a bit of an untapped resource here for, say, duck hunters in Australia, especially in sort of in regards to mountain duck? Yeah, look, um, mountain duck and, and wood duck, I guess the two ducks that we've got in Australia, uh, well, in Victoria, I should say, that are grazers, uh, meaning that they don't necessarily, they're not on water all the time. Um, and they're more than happy to go out to a paddock and feed in the paddock. In fact, that's where they that's where they feed. Um, so, look, that that is something that's uh, I guess coming to life uh, in the last couple of years. Um, and those layout blinds, they're they're fantastic for that sort of work because they give you a nice low profile, and the ducks can't can't see any movement that, that's going on underneath. Um, it is it, it represents a whole new set of challenges hunting ducks on on land and it is a bit surreal um with the first few times you do it where you're hunting ducks and there's no water in sight um it doesn't quite feel right that you're there but um but look it is a bit un- it, it is a bit of an untapped resource um it does represent a whole new set of challenges and more importantly it allows us to adapt to times when um when things start things might start to dry up on the waterfront um but those ducks, the wood duck and mountain duck, um, will allow for for hunting opportunities to go through because they are still um, they're still feeding on on land and don't necessarily need water um, all day every day. Yep, good stuff, man. I do have one little quick one more question. Uh, you, mm. you, yes, you just brought it up about uh, times to hunt. So mornings being the best. Do you find late afternoons? Do you find middle of the day? If people don't know about duck hunting, what do you think? Do you do mornings and nights? What what do you think the best is? Well, I mean, obviously, um, look, morning and, and night time, it's like, it's like fishing, I guess. Um, they're, they're generally your feed times for ducks. Um, so early morning, you get that early morning flight, and evening as well, um, you get that evening flight um, where birds are actively looking and, and feeding uh, and looking for food. So those times are, are generally less times to hunt ducks, granted. Um, now, when you say middle of the day, that can be just as good, um, provided that you're in an area where the ducks want to be. And and so dur- during the day, uh, middle of the day, ducks will most of the time just want to rest and loaf on the edge and, you know, and, and take it easy. So it's it's a time of the day where they're, they're having a siesta, basically, and they're just, they're just taking it easy. Um, if you're in an area where, where they want to rest, where they feel comfortable, um, and, and they're sheltered, then you can go on and, and get your bag in the middle of the day. Um, but it is very much about knowing um, knowing the area that you're hunting in and knowing where the ducks want to be. And that's ultimately what it comes down to. So we're also talking off air about you, know, you might be offering a, a guide service to, I guess, not only people within Australia, but overseas as well. Can you sort of discuss that? 
Yeah, look, um, the the legislation, or I guess the the wildlife regs in Victoria, have changed um, so that from next year we'll be able to um, offer a guiding service um, to people and and to international visitors as well as um, Australian residents for for the purpose of hunting duck. So that's very much something that um, that the fowl talkers will be will be. Um, I guess launching in in for next season, um, and if that's deemed to be um, legal within New South Wales, we'll also be doing the same thing um, within New South Wales. So that's something whereby I mean we envisage that you know there's a lot of people out there that um, haven't seen or, or want to get into duck hunting and don't really know how to go about it, um, and really it's about showing them the way things work and and the way that we do things. Again, it's not necessarily um, the only way to do things, but it's what works for us. Um, and that's something that we'll be doing, I guess, for the international um, for the international visitors. It's a it's a whole other ball game in terms of their their wanting species. But um, you know, that's something that we'll be that we'll be launching in the next season. Mm, mate, good stuff. Mate, sort of to finish off, tell us a story, man. Maybe might have been this last season, or you know, could have been many years ago. But tell us a bit of a story, man, about um, you know maybe a hunt where you know you might have called in a whole mob of ducks on a call, or mate, whatever you want to choose. Just give me a story, man, that sticks in your mind that you sort of fondly remember. Yeah, um, I guess for me it was uh, this is this is like a turning point for me in terms of, of hunting ducks, um, and it's where I guess everything got got serious and and i guess where the where the fire was really lit and the obsession um was formed but i just turned i just turned 18 um and it was duck season uh it wasn't the best duck season that year and there was you know people i mean duck hunters are always talking about where's good to go and where's not not good to go and there was certain talk on or I guess there was regular talk on, on one place that there was a few ducks and, you know, um, guys were getting out there and, and getting their birds. And I went out there one morning and it was a Saturday morning and there was no one else there and there was no ducks around. I, th- I think I saw something like 12 ducks for the morning um, and nothing came in at all. It was just, it was an absolute nightmare. Um, and ended up packing up at about 9am and I said, well, I'm not going to, just call it in and go home. And I started scouting, basically, throughout the middle of... After that, I packed up and just went and had a look. Um, and, you know, looked here and looked there and eventually came across this swamp, um, which wasn't typically known as a ducky type of lake um, and no one had really been speaking about. And I went on to that and, you know, there was there was ducks there. Um, and mind you, by this time, it was the middle of the day. It was 12 o'clock. Um, and I went out and set up decoy spread and got myself ready and had bagged out in an hour after that. And it was um, it was really, a, I guess, one of those, it was like a light bulb moment for me in that, you know, generally people say you got a morning and, and an evening is the best time to hunt ducks. But I'd gone on to this place in the middle of the day and, and worked hard for it, really. And that's what it came down to. It was about, you know, persisting and, and working hard and, and looking for ducks and, you know, the, the rewards came, and and that's that's where it all started, I guess. Um, just to sort of show that sometimes you don't have to do what everyone else is doing. Um, you know, you can you can get good results by by just thinking outside the square a bit. Good stuff, mate. If just to finish off, if people wanted to find out uh, more about you guys, you know what you do, 
um, the Facebook page if they want to email some questions, or is it you know, what's the best way someone can uh, get in contact with you and find out you know what you guys do? Yeah, look, uh, we've got we've got a website. It's um, it's under development, so um, the people won't see anything if they were to go there. But <laughs> it is um, it is www.foultalkers.com.au. Um, the best place to get a hold of us is obviously our Facebook page, uh, and that's Foul Talkers on its own. So F O W L Foul and Talkers. Um, and then lastly, I guess we've got an email account as well, and that is foultalkers, one word, at ymail.com. So they're the, they're the three ways that uh, people are able to get in touch with us. Obviously, um, the website in future, but um, but at the moment, it's very much the Facebook page, and you know we're getting some, some encouraging support from people out there that are saying that um, you know, an Australian duck hunting DVD is long overdue. So, um, you know, we're always on there and putting up photos and little clips and and teasers and trailers from from the from the preview of the DVD. So, um, and people can get on there and ask us questions, and we're more than happy to to, uh, to answer and, and help out where we can. Good stuff, mate. Good stuff. And you know what? I am. I know you. you I uh, post on your Facebook page, and you know, I'm staring at right now a the Haydell's timber cutter. It's in my hand right now as we're recording this podcast. So this is your recommendation. So hopefully I can get this to work. If not, I'll be ringing you up and annoying you. So. <laughs> I'll be happy to give you a one-on-one lesson. <laughs> no, good. They actually did a, you know, speaking of gunning for them, they were quick. I don't think they took them about, you know, like I think I ordered it. What's today? Wednesday. I ordered it on, on Monday, and it's here by Wednesday. So good stuff from yeah. the guys there at the Gun Emporium. So, mate, appreciate you coming on the show to have a chat to, you know, uh, joining me and, you know, giving the, you know, audience some interesting facts, you know, from your perspective about waterfowl hunting and hopefully from some of this advice that you've been able to give on the show. People can now feel a bit confident you know, and myself too, actually, I learned a bit too to, to go out there, you know, grab some calls, grab some decoys, start, you know, calling, you know, if you, if you, if you annoy your family, do it in the car or on the way to work or whatever you can do. And um, hopefully they're going to be able to, you know, get these things together and, you know, don't feel like they have to have a lot of gear just to get out there and start making it happen. I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to hunt ducks if you're sitting at home on the couch. So hopefully they can take <laughs> some of your advice and mate, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. No worries, Jason. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. You've just been educated, and this is the Australian Hunting Podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time.